Well, hey, folks, welcome to another episode on the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Excited to be with you, and I am excited because it's been a long time since we've had a guest on the show, and I found somebody off the street who was kind enough to join me for a conversation. Actually, it's not true. Um, this is my pastor and friend, Josh Henson, and if you're a longtime listener, you will remember, I'm sure, way back, episode number four I had a conversation with Josh, and it was a good one. It was about the continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it, but don't do that until the end of this show because I want you to hear our conversation today, which is classical theism. Now, the subtitle of this episode is what it is and why it matters. I hope to tell you both of those, uh, but since I'm not going to be able to do it as good as Josh can, I'm going to hand over the reins to him uh, to let him help us out with that. First of all, Josh, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you with us again. Thanks, Kevin. It's uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I think I say something like, um, with with things like this, it's a blessing the first time around. If someone asks me to come back, it's a miracle. So <laughs> I'm glad, glad to be back. Yeah, Um it's good to have you. Um, and by the way, I didn't find him off the street. We're actually in his office, so I'm invading his space with all of my tech gear and whatnot. Um, so Josh is really a gentleman here, so good to be with him. So let's start off this conversation. Uh, Josh, provide us a simple yet powerful definition of classical theism. What is classical theism? Well, the word uh, simple will uh, maybe come out a little bit later, but... Um Classical uh, theism is the uh, really the classic, or, or maybe we should put it this way, the historic Christian doctrine of God. And so when we talk about theology, um, of course that is our belief about God, but we have different categories. So theology uh, proper would, would be our understanding of of the uh, being and, and nature of of God. So it, it's really just the the classic or historic Christian um, approach to understanding who God is and what He's like. So, in other words, classical theism, or even we could say theism in general, uh, this is not one of those things that's esoteric or something that's reserved for people uh, writing theology books to kind of debate and kick around like some kind of hobby. Uh, but this is really something that all of us as Christians should be wrestling with or should have some some way to articulate it because we're talking about God after all, right? We're talking about uh, the most important thing that we could talk about as Christians, as people, as human beings. Um, and I do like that concept of, of classical theism, and I I'm, I'm definitely understand where you're going as well with the idea of, of simple, and I know we'll, we'll get to that in, in a minute. Um, but why do you think that it matters? Just, just at, besides what I just said, obviously, um, just at a base level, um, so, okay, it's about God, it's about a view of God, it's about kind of articulating that and the classicalness of it. Um, but why do you think that it matters at the end of the day? 
Well, it's it, it's not. It, it can sound. It can come across as though uh, you know, using these theological terms, this philosophical language. It can seem as 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 though it's only reserved for theologians or philosophers or academics. But if we're after knowing God, right? If that is our goal, um, if that is what we believe we were made for, then we should be concerned with uh, who who the question of who is this God that we. Um, that we're wanting to know or who is wanting to know us. Uh, what is he like? If we, like in our, uh, our catechism, right, the shorter catechism, uh, question one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, if we believe God is uh, our, our reward, um, if we would say with the psalmist that we have none other in heaven, uh, but him, none other on earth that we would uh, desire other than him. Um, and as we uh, we sing in the hymn, uh, Be Thou My Vision, if he is the high king of heaven who is uh, the, the chief desire of our, of our hearts, uh, we want to know who this God is that we're committing our lives to or that it is our blessedness and reward to know. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's why we would be concerned with it. And uh, I'm trying to remember your initial question. <laughs> <laughs> well, just why why it matters. I think you've kind of articulated that. Um, I mean, this is really a big deal, right? This is something um, that we can't afford to not think about. And of course, this this podcast is dedicated to reading the Bible. Well, what do we find in the Bible? We find God's revelation to us. God reveals Himself, not just generally speaking. But he reveals himself very precisely. I mean, God goes at great lengths to reveal himself to us. And we should certainly want to um, appreciate that, not just by reading it, right? But actually thinking through it, actually um, trying to make sense of everything that he has revealed to us. And that's really what theology or concepts of theism are all about, right? We're trying to take in everything that God has revealed to us, and bring that into some kind of system, some kind of organizational uh, reference point in our heads. And the only reason that we can do that is because God is truth, right? God doesn't contradict himself. If that's true, that means that what he says about himself isn't going to be contradictory. It's going to be something that we can actually um, work through and process mentally. So, that's a good way to understand it at the outset, right, why it matters. But maybe help us a little bit anyways. Um, you have theism, then you have classical theism. Um, and we mentioned maybe a little bit about the kind of historical development of that. But uh, are there some main players in church history that our listeners should be aware of that kind of developed this? I don't want to say invented, right, because we're getting it from the Bible, but maybe helped uh, – develop this doctrine of classical theism, which we refer to in modern day. Yeah, invented would be a, a dangerous... Uh, that's exactly what we're trying to avoid, right? We, we want to know God on his own terms. Um, and uh, as, he, as you said, as he's revealed himself, uh, really, yeah, throughout the history of the church, I mean, there's, I guess there's some debate as to uh, between the East uh, and the West, the Eastern Orthodox and Western Christianity, as far as yeah, the, that's uh, not that's not California and Florida, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Uh, 
Byzantine Christianity and Latin or, or Greek and Latin Christianity. Um, the the East uh, Eastern Orthodox place more of an emphasis on the um, the relations between the persons. Um, but uh, but even even still, I, I think there's a a pretty common thread. And if you go all the way back to the Church Fathers, you read the uh, the Cappadocian Fathers. Um, you read uh, the, uh, the 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 Church Fathers around um, the early Christological heresies and the things that they're trying to work through, as far as um, nature and essence and and person and. Uh, that God is one and yet three, one in essence and three in in person. Uh, you can go all the way back to the church fathers, uh, people like um, uh, Gregory Nazianzus, uh, Nazianzus, um, not nauseated. Yeah, right. Um, uh, all, all the way back to the beginning. You, you go to uh, um, language from you know Augustine has a, a great treatise on on the trinity you go to uh uh men like anselm and uh, thomas aquinas uh they were always back then for the a's right athanasius anselm aquinas uh this is a classical understanding of of god but also the reformers um even uh even many of the puritans you know in their in their writings on on god uh and that would bring us to uh as you and I are, are confessionally reformed Christians, um, our confession of faith that we subscribe to, the West, that our church holds to, uh, our denomination, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 2 really um, explains in a very short way the, classical, the classic doctrine of God when it says that we believe that God is without body parts or passions um it's an interesting way of putting it that he is it's it's a negative way of ex- expressing it you're saying who god is and what he's like by saying what he's not um and and we can talk about that more but i, I think that would be a, a good way to to get us there um to that definition without body uh without parts without passions and that's to say without body that, that god is spirit um, without parts is to say that you don't add up um, this attribute and this attribute and, and, and you get you, you know, once you add these God is like the sum of all his parts that's not who he is uh, he, he's identified with his attributes, for instance, he, God is light, um, God is love uh, God is a consuming fire we, we read in scripture and so he's, that's the word we alluded to earlier that God is simple. Um, now, I teach this to ninth graders, and the way I do it is to, um, is to give them the list, list various attributes of God that we find in Scripture. And um, for the, the boys, they, they really get this, because uh, the girls not so much maybe, but the uh, uh, Madden football, you, you can create a player. And when you create a player, you have the different attributes that you can, uh, the agility, the uh, speed, ability to break a tackle, ability to pass or catch or whatever it is, tackle, whatever, depending on what what player you're creating. 
and you have from like zero to ninety nine on the attribute scale. Um, and so, when I used to, when I was a kid, and I used to play. I think maybe nowadays you can you can just make it as you know as good as you want. I see the the, the creations my own kids do, and it's you know this guy's six eight and three hundred pounds, and nobody can touch him. Um, but when I was playing, you had you only had a limited amount that you could use between all the attributes, and so there was the potential to add. Um, and so in a way of explaining what God is like, I use that to show them what God is not like. Um, he, he is not, there, there is no potential in him, right? There's no, um, he, he's not made up of, of, of part holiness, part love, part, you know, he, he is identified with, with his attributes. Um, as the, the statement goes, all that is in God, uh, is God. Uh, there's no room for, uh, potential growth or diminishment, there's no adding to or taking away from his his being, and because he is one, uh, because he is um, not complex in that sense that he is he's not made up of different parts. We we say that God is simple, not like simple-minded, but simple as opposed to complex. And when I teach it to the kids, I had a student last year say, "Okay, you, you've given me all this." which is so profound, right? And our understanding of him is revealed in scripture. And now you're telling me he's simple? Like, and this is anything but simple, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's funny. Maybe another way to put it, uh, when we say God's simple as opposed to some kind of composite. Uh, so he's not, uh, he's not like buying an OSB sheet from Lowe's that's a composite of all these little different pieces of wood uh, you know, glued together, or those composite deck boards, right? They're supposed to last 20 years longer than regular deck boards where they're made from recycled materials. Um, I've heard it said before, too, when we use kind of big words like uh, God is infinite, um, really, in some, in some ways, all we're saying is what he's not. We're saying that he's not finite mm-hmm. when we say that. So even there, there's kind of a a process of elimination, I guess, if you want to put it that way, um, kind of walking this tightrope. We don't want to go too far to one side or the other and to an extreme. Cause that's when you get into heresy. That's when you get beyond uh, what God has said in the Bible. In the Bible, By the way, uh, Josh mentioned um, some historical developments in, in that answer, and uh, I want to remind you um, that I do have show notes for this podcast as well as all the other ones. This one being episode 52, uh, you can go to betterbiblereading.com forward slash episode 52, and there you're going to be able to see uh, the links and references to books and resources we get into because there are a whole lot of good ones um, for this topic. And I'm going to mention a couple specifically to those um, phrases of church history um, that you might not be familiar with. And and don't worry, they're both short books, uh, but they're really helpful. For this topic, so let's let's keep this moving here, Josh. What is it about this that makes you so passionate about this doctrine or this concept, um, Josh? As well as other people that I interview, um, maybe maybe down the road I'll be a little more of a of a dictator, and I'm going to say you will talk about this, <laughs> and people will like me enough to just do it. Uh, but for now, I'm playing the nice guy or the the good cop uh, routine. So I've reached out to Josh as well as others, and I said, what do you want to talk about? 
And so uh, if you don't like this, this topic, you can blame him. Hopefully you'll like it because we're talking about God after all. Uh, but Josh, why is it that you're passionate about this? What, what makes you uh, really interested in this, in this doctrine? Well, I think it's what you just said because it, it is t- we are talking about our God. And um, as we said at the beginning, we, we need to understand him on his own terms. Um, to know him uh, is life. And uh, without uh, the knowledge of him is, uh, is, uh, is to continue in our, our misery. Um, it is contrary to the purpose that we're, we were made for. Uh, and I think... Um, I think part of it too is is thinking through or seeing through I guess in just the study of church history this this thread this line this um, uh, attempt to understand who he is as revealed in the scriptures and to see uh, all the way back you know in the, in the early day of the church fathers to see them wrestle through this uh, to see the language they employed. Um, and uh, and to, to see that carried throughout church history um, is is just a, a matter of interest, I guess, in uh, in, in one sense. Um, but the root of it, of it should be is I hope to uh, to know him. So uh, the danger, of course, is that we would be you know, we we read in Scripture God has made us in His likeness in His image. And so we, we want to avoid, um, because we, we know there is a God, because that the knowledge of him is written upon our hearts, because we're fallen and sinful, and we will, um, we will well, as someone has said, we'll, we'll, we'll attempt to return the favor, right? We'll, we'll try to make God in our own image, um, which is to worship an idol. And, uh, and so that's where... Uh, yeah, we we want to avoid that. So, yeah, uh, th- obviously, there's a huge difference between the God who exists in our minds versus the God who is. Uh, we can have a concept of God, we can have a notion of God, um, but just because we do doesn't mean it's right. And that's really a, a whole another conversation for another day, but. Mentioning the importance or the interest of classical theism, the historical development that you see in church history, which those of you who've been listening to the podcast, you know I make the point a lot that we, we must interact with church history. It's our family heritage. It's our story of the past. It's not something that we can just distance and disassociate ourselves from because we learn so much from it. And in that same regard of having an appreciation for classical theism, um, what it does is it informs us better of our own contemporary context, our own this day in which we live context. And I think really that's a good place uh, to think about this, right? We don't live in a vacuum. We live in our own contemporary context as a result of our history or as a bad reaction to avoiding and 
dismissing our history. So here's really the, the million-dollar question. Um, how do you see contemporary Christianity interacting with classical theism? And in, in that vein, is it possible to be both contemporary and classical in our doctrine of God? Yeah, I think uh, the the probably probably the the modern at least what what I see in the modern evangelical culture um, doesn't engage very much uh, with the classical definition of who God is, um, in at least in the terms that we've been explaining it. Uh, if we if we use that again that phrase without body without parts without passions. Um, I think in the evangelical world, the, the idea has been more of a almost a, a romantic view of the relationship. Um, uh, the, kind of a Jesus is my boyfriend uh, approach, and uh, it it it's the the commendable thing is is the intimacy, right? That we that we we know that there is a there is a God to know that He is uh, he's, he's not just some, it's not just some force or it's impersonal, um, but we we can know Him. Uh, but it the danger is that it imposes our understanding of um, relationship back back to um, our relationships back onto our, our Creator, um, and so that maybe. Uh, is a simplistic, to use the term "simple" in a in a not so positive light, a simplistic way of, of viewing our relationship with Him um, takes away from the the transcendence of of God and Him being other outside of of, of creation. Uh, on the other hand, there's uh, there, there's all sorts of uh, of ways of trying to, and this is this is where we. Um, I think this is where we err because, uh, uh, at least in the most uh, charitable judgment, um, we're, we're trying to understand, or giving the most charitable judgment, we're trying to understand this God and his relationship to us. And even trying to do so in a biblical way, we, we run into difficulties because we read things in Scripture that tell us, that seem to indicate that God is like us when we read. Uh, uh, we would read scriptures that would uh, apparently indicate that God has a body. Uh, underneath you are the everlasting arms. Um, or that God has uh, passions uh, that, you know, in Noah's day, that God repented that he had, had made man, for instance. But then we, the scripture tells us that God does not repent like a man. Or that God is spirit and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. Or that um, uh, that our God does not uh, have uh, such uh, passions like a man. I'm thinking of the text in Acts where where uh, uh, Paul is is speaking, um, and so we we, uh, we we see these and we, we try to understand um, what it is, uh, how God relates, or how it is that God relates to us, and so. Um, we we can kind of simplify it into just imposing our understanding of 
relationships onto the Lord. Or sometimes we can do it in a very sophisticated way in using the language of, of covenant or uh, um, uh, some sort of middle knowledge you know, that God, uh, God condescends. It is a condescension, of course, is relating to us, but that he changes, that the condescension is, is a change in his being in a sense. Um, so that there are positions out there that where uh, God has, people believe that God has voluntarily um, uh, determined that he would not know things, know the future, or, um, or know how man is going to respond to, uh, to things. So, uh, to his acts or his, his providence. Uh, so there are all, all sorts of ways in which we, uh, the contemporary uh, Christianity is attempting right to uh, to understand the Lord, but it's uh, many times it does deviate from this this classical view. Yeah, great, great points there. Uh, I think you touched on a lot of ideas, such as just right there in the last minute or two there of, of open theism, of the idea that God is almost in the same kind of chronological timeline as we are right he doesn't the idea he doesn't know the future because it hasn't happened yet um the difference between you know reality and potentiality and all those kind of things and that again that might sound if you're even open to the idea of open theism might even sound like one of those academic conversations that might just be reserved for those who are interested enough to think about it but really at the end of the day i mean this is stuff that we all wrestle through when we read scriptures, such as God was sorry or God repented that he had made man because they had uh, become so rebellious and violent and just an appetite for sin. Um, but then you read verses such as, you know, God delighting and desiring for all to be saved. And then you also read verses about um, the difference between those that God chooses and doesn't choose to be saved, right? I mean, these are these are big-time issues. These aren't just reserved for some back room for people uh, like me and Josh in the back room right now <laughs> doing this recording. This is for everybody because we want to know this God who has saved us, and he's revealed himself to us. Uh, but we want to work through all the things that he's revealed about himself and the guidelines and kind of protections that the Bible gives us so that we don't go too far one way or another to say something about God that isn't true or something about God that contradicts what he has clearly said about himself elsewhere. And I hope that you all kind of see the point here that this, at the very outset, can only happen by regular, consistent Bible reading. You can't even attempt to try to work through this if you're just doing inconsistent, casual reading, a verse here or there, just reading my verse for the day, or just reading my little you know, five-minute devotional that's really some other guy talking and it just has one or two verses thrown in there. Those things aren't bad, but if that's your only diet, just like I mentioned in our previous episode you're trying to live off of a piece of gum instead of a feast. And the Bible is a feast. It's a feast of truth. It's a feast of life that God gives to us. And we want to know more about this God. We should want to know 
we should have a greater inclination to know more about this God who has saved us and set his heart upon us. I like the analogy you mentioned earlier that the the extremes of contemporary Christianity is to romanticize it to the point that Jesus is like a boyfriend, right? Well, we all know that relationships aren't just built on physical intimacy, but an actual interaction with one another. We both love our wives, but we also can say that we've invested time in our wives. We wanted to get to know our wives in a greater capacity. We want to know their interests. We want to know the things they like and don't like. I mean, that's just general basic relationship building. And that is to say that romantic Christianity, if you want to put it that way, uh, just won't do. Because really, it's almost more like a Christian Mingle website, right? You're, you're just interested in some kind of romantic relationship or pursuing some kind of romantic relationship uh, just on the basis of, of Christian as as preference or orientation. Um Christianity is so much more than that, and our relationship with God should be so much more than the romantic-type songs that we hear. It should be a pursuit of all of the deep, rich truth that God has revealed to us about himself. And I think you really touched on some good points there of our contemporary culture and what we should all be thinking about, because we are the contemporary culture, especially in Christianity. And these are some extremes that we need to really think through um, so that our relationship with the Lord is a healthy, balanced one in the same way that he reveals himself to us. Uh, So, Josh, do you have any closing comments before we start talking about books or resources? Do you have any kind of closing comments on this whole conversation? Anything you want to say uh, to our listeners or advice or just really anything on this topic? Yeah, I would just say that we, we do need to be careful because uh, I started this out by to answer your question about why, why I'm passionate about this or why it's important. It's because we um, because we want to know this God. And then I just said that uh, seeking to know this God is where we often err um, and uh, and kind of water things down or, or either get very sophisticated in our in our attempt to understand these things. But uh, there there is a balance that we need to aim for, um, and. I, I think the the thing that we need to keep in mind is um, is that we not err so much on the side of um, God being so wholly other than us that we can't know Him. Right? He's not the God of Islam or or, or again some some uh, impersonal force. Uh, God is, and uh, and He has made Himself known. Uh, we, whenever we um, consider how God has made Himself known to us, um, the way for us to understand that in that language that we mentioned earlier, like that God says He has his, the everlasting arms are under you, or that He repented that He had made man, is that um, these are analogies, right, for us for our, our understanding anthropomorphisms to use the the uh, the term ascribing to uh to God in this case the uh the attributes of a man uh the physical attributes of a man or, or capacities or capabilities or anthropopathisms which is another term that would 
refer to ascribing uh, passions to uh, to God that are um, that that men possess. So when we say that, um, when we say that God underneath us, when God says are underneath you are the everlasting arms, for instance, we know that God is without a body, right? He is a spirit, but at the same time, we we need to keep in mind that this is intended to teach us something that is true about God. And so I think that's that's important, that we want to, um, as difficult as some of this is to, for us to understand, that we want to remember that what we're seeing in Scripture, though it may be an analogy for us to understand, it is teaching us something true. Or, or when it says that God repented, that he made man. Well, we know that God does not change his mind. He doesn't um, he doesn't repent as a man repents, but it does teach us something true about God. The fact that he hates sin, the fact that he, uh, that he would judge sin in, in the days of Noah and that, um, um, that we can, uh, we can be sure of that as well. So, uh, so I think that that's all I would say is just that, um, that we not have this sort of static, impersonal view of God, uh, just because he is not like us but remember that this is intended to teach us what is true of him. Great points there, Josh. I really appreciate that. As, as we close, um, mentioned I wanted to get some recommended books and, and resources that our listeners could uh, take, and I'll, I'll start that off um, by just mentioning a few um, that I think would be really helpful here, um, one of which is the book called the universe next door. And that book is a book about worldviews, but the reason that it's so helpful is because David Sires, who writes the book, walks through all the big worldviews in the world. Go figure that. And he does so by interacting with all of the top religions in the world. And what that means is he's also interacting with all the different views of God. And so while this isn't really a book that talks about all the in-house debates in Christianity, it is a book that helps us get some contrast as, as Christians uh, to understand really to, to what great of a degree people disagree about God, right? So Josh mentioned um, that God is not an impersonal force. Well, it turns out for a lot of people, that's exactly what they think about God. Believe it or not, people do adopt the Star Wars God theory. Um, but that's, you know, why that book is so valuable. It's a really great book. Again, The Universe Next Door by David Sires. And then uh, secondly, this is a, a two-for-one special here, uh, because there's a book series uh, by Zondervan uh, called No, K-N-O-W, and Justin Holcomb is the editor of these books. And uh, there are more than these two, but the two that I've read that were really helpful um, was, number one, uh, Know the Creeds, and number two, Know the Heretics. Both of those books are short, so you should definitely read them. And they're so helpful because Know the Creeds uh, talks about all of those instances in church history uh, wrestling through... Um, what we can confidently say about God, what we can confidently say about the Trinity, etc., etc. And so all of those names, the Byzantine Empire, right, all those things that Josh mentioned, 
uh, that you might not have heard about. These books really help illustrate that in a very digestible form. And then Know the Heretics uh, is really um, interconnected to that book because you get to hear about all of the heretics in church history that uh, suggested and started parading ideas about God or about Christ or about the Trinity or other issues related, again, to the nature of God um, and how they were wrong, why they were wrong, and what Bible verses they were attempting to use uh, to to formulate their, their teachings. So both these books are really, really helpful. would highly recommend them. That will really bring you up to speed. Um, and then lastly, just an encouragement. Um, this isn't a book, but this is literature, I suppose you could say. Um, if you want to know where to start, start by looking at your church's statement of faith. Our church is a uh, confessional Reformed Presbyterian church. What that means is we have a historic confession of faith that we uh, subscribe to. Josh mentioned it, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And um, the idea of, of God, his attributes, all that, are very explicitly laid out in that confession. Um, but the average church doesn't subscribe to some kind of historical doctrine like that or some kind of historical statement of faith. Uh, but they will have some kind of statement of faith. So if you want to at least know, okay, so where does my church or where does my denomination land on just kind of an articulation about God, you can start, go go to your church website, go to your pastor, ask uh, for the statement of faith, and just start a conversation. Just say, what is it um, unique about our denomination of what we believe about God? How is it different from other denominations? And how do we square with historic Christianity. We're in the year 2020, uh, but you remove your life from the equation and you have a gigantic piece of pie left uh, called church history, right? So there's so much history of church um, that doesn't include us. And so we can't afford to live in a vacuum. We want to know how we relate to people of the past as well. So Josh, do you have any books or recommended resources for people? Yeah, a couple. Um, one is is a, a devotional guide to God's attributes, and it's it's called God Is by Mark Jones. Uh, Mark is a PCA pastor in Canada, and we uh, we did this. We took our church uh, adult Sunday school class through this um, a year or two ago. Um, but uh, it, it talks about a lot of these concepts that we're speaking of. But the chapters are very very short. Uh, explains the doctrine and gives uh, an application and uh, and also how we see these these attributes of God in Christ in each 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 chapter um, so it's very helpful very devotional uh, that's a good starting place if you want something more advanced then um, James uh, Dolzal who's a reformed Baptist uh, wrote a book called um, I don't remember the name of all, it now. All that God is. All something like that. I think it's all that is. Uh, all that is in God. All that is in God. Yeah, right. It's from that title. All that is in God uh, is God. Um, and this book, R.C. Sproul read uh, before his death. You know, several times it was uh, he, he spoke of it very highly. And uh, uh, if you're familiar with uh, with Doctor Sproul, the late Doctor Sproul, uh, but it is more advanced. Um, but it is uh, it's a great read if you can kind of slog through it. Uh, the other the other thing is um, while you're waiting on these uh, a- these to come in the mail in two days for, from Amazon Prime, um, <laughs> the uh, uh, assuming that your listeners aren't aren't Kindle readers because um, we know how bad that is, right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm playing. Um, 
sort of. <laughs> uh, online Credo Magazine, which is edited by, I think his name is Matthew Barrett. I um, can't remember. It's, there's a Matthew Barrett and a Michael Barrett who are both theologians, and I can't remember which one is which, but uh, Matthew, and maybe they're related, but uh, Matthew Barrett edits Credo Magazine, and they did, I think, several... Well, he has he has he has written a book on I think called None Greater on on God, but um, a doctrine of God. But also in, in the magazine, the, the articles are online; they're available for free, and uh, and so they dealt with some of these attributes in this classical view. So that'd be a, a good place to to check out too. Great. Well, Josh, thanks again for stopping in to your own office <laughs> and leaving the door open for me to come on in as well. Uh, really appreciate you spending time with us to talk about. Really the most important thing we could possibly talk about, and that is God. Uh, so, again, uh, just prayers for a continued uh, blessing from the Lord on your ministry here at uh, Ortega Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville, Florida. If you want to check out Josh and listen to sermons uh, from his church, uh, you can find Ortega Presbyterian Church on sermonaudio.com, or you can go to Ortega Pres. Dot com right yeah Ortega Prez O R T E G A P R E S dot com well thanks so much for listening to the Better Bible Reading podcast and have a great rest of your day.